Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Lay down my life to fight the battles of the Lord. And some people have considered that too, too strong or, or too intense. So what Paul says there in death, often I can tell you that uh, if, if we were in the old days, there would be a couple people wanting to kill me. Uh, verse 24 says like this, for the Jews five times I received 40 stripes, whippings, minus one. The Jewish people had determined that 40 whippings, according to the, the cattail, would kill a man. And so minus one was just on the verge of death, 40 whippings, minus one was 39. So five times Paul went through this situation and, um, and taking them on the verge of quitting. I want to tell you something, that there are so many pastors. One of the pastors here in Miami uh, woke up one morning and headed for the airport with his bags and he left the country. And his wife and two daughters were, and the church were like, what happened to pastor? He's gone. He's never come back. He went to his country of hiding in the, in the mountains, and, and he's no longer in Miami. He's no longer in his marriage. He's no longer in his family because he got super crushed and fed up with the weight of the responsibility of ministry. And so it doesn't happen unusually. It's very often that pastors uh, throw the towel and quit. Uh, one of the biggest churches in Miami was with a gentleman of Pastor Julio Fernandez, it was called Fe para Miami, and they had 1,500 members. And uh, with the intensity of the battles of ministry, he, he threw the towel, and he took, up, he, took off a, he took up a little job at the courthouse. That's how I found out about it, because I'm a lawyer. And he was translating for the clerk of court, and, and for, you know, in the, in the little traffic tickets and trials, he's a translator. So he went from being a prince to being just an ordinary, everyday citizen. And it's commendable that, you know, that in this regards, he's working as a normal citizen, but he says, I'm not going to go into fighting these raging battles of the Lord. And it doesn't matter how you pour into the life of the people. They're not appreciative. They're not grateful. They don't understand the intensity of the battle of being present every day, all the more. And so we are reminded of great pastors who have not quit, like Tommy Barnett. And, and, and I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Um, uh, Tommy Barnett had something called the war chest. And it was a, he had a, he had a wooden box. You guys know the old, the treasure chest type of thing. That was the concept. He had an old wooden box set up in the altar, and it was, it was a place where people would come. It had nothing to do with tithe. It had nothing to do with offerings. It had to do that I, I want to encourage my pastor to continue to fight the battles of the Lord. And so he had that wooden chest up on the altar, and people would just come every month, and they would drop something very special in there that went specifically to encourage and to bless the pastor. And, and that's a powerful thing. Um, he had members in his church. I don't know if you guys know the, the uh, golf brand named Ping, P-I-N-G. 
is like Callaway. It's one of the top golf brands. And, and this gentleman who was the owner of this company who had been so blessed by hearing his pastor's advice for 20 years and became one of America's greatest corporate leaders, one day he wrote a check for $100,000 and he put it inside the chest. And he says, I, this is for you. This is for your work in the Lord. And it has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do for maintaining the building or, or to be able to do missions. This is for my pastor so that he could do whatever he feels like it. And so those are the type of testimonies that exist in the life of people who understand how to appreciate a pastor. Let's go back to that verse. Um, and, and you'll see it says, five times I nearly died uh, five times nearly whipped, 40 times minus one. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked because back then they didn't hang out with cars. They hung out with ships and canoes and all sorts of things. A night and a day I've been in the deep. So apparently he was out in the middle of the ocean without a boat. Okay, They're, they shipwrecked and he was out there a night and a day. Uh, just hanging on to a log. Verse 26, <clears throat> in journeys often, you guys, a lot of people, when I go around the world and we leave four to five months out of the year to go serve God, and I have people, when I get back, they say, so how was your vacation? And I want to grab them by the throat, but I have mercy on them because they don't have any idea what it is to leave your family for weeks at a time and to see your family uh, wait on you as you get back from these trips, uh, knowing that you're leaving an inheritance for them in all the nations. That's, that's the purpose of God. In, in perils of robbers, thieves, many times in perils of my own countrymen, um, I wish that I would have more of a fight with people that are not from the church than the people that are from church. I get more thumbs up and appreciation from non-Christians that don't go to church many times than from the people that are in the very church uh, who consider it horrible that I should meddle into their lives. It says, in perils of the Gentiles, those are the people on the outside now. And we get some of that too. In perils in the city, in perils in the desert, in the wilderness, times that we don't even know what's going on. You know, you, sometimes you have that in your personal life, but we have this in ministry life. Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What direction do you want us to take? Um, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, those people that act like Christians. We were just preparing, and all this I'm saying is, is not the message this morning. I'm just uh, highlighting why we are appreciating pastor. But watch this. Um, we were preparing our welcome letter for spring of life the next 10 years, and I found a verse in the Bible in 1 Chronicles 12, uh, verse 17, and it's the way that David would welcome people to his team. And he says, hey, if you're coming to help me, man, you're my friend. But if you're coming to mess me up, then may God see your corrupt heart and let him judge you. That, that's a hard way to, it's First Chronicles 12, 17, right? Um, I'm going to put it up there real quick. David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come with peace to help me, my heart is united with you and we're friends. But if you come to betray me to my enemies and to give these young girls up to non-Christians and to be able to be a stumbling block to our young people, if you're 36 years old and you're living with your girlfriend and I'm telling a 12-year-old boy that he's to wait, I don't want you to be a member of my church. 
I don't want you to be here being a stumbling block. If you're joining fraternities and getting drunk and staying late at night and disrespecting your parents' house, I don't want you to be in this house. You don't belong in this place. You're not a world changer. Yeah, you could, you could clap. You could clap because... And so this was, this was how David would, would welcome people. And, and, you know, there's a travesty around that for a long time we've been in the house of God and we haven't known these things. We haven't had pastors like this. Uh, pastors let anybody come in the door. They let anybody come out. This Friday I was here and some of the young guys brought a friend named Paul. And I said, Paul, welcome to the church. And let me just tell you something. This is Sammy. This is Jacob. They're world changers. They're men of honor. They're raising up strong. But Paul, this is my daughter. And if you look at her, I will kill you. And he's like 10 years old. And he's like. <laughs> and I said, unless I know you're a world changer, then you could speak to her. So we need to start reviving the character of warriors in the house of God and not let any enemy come in here and act like a friend and steal from us um, the most precious things we have. In the last five years, we had a witch come in here and she acted like a sheep for a long time and she just pulled down one of our main ministers and she was so subtle. She's like this. I should have checked a little bit more, but she destroyed an entire family. And so uh, it's amazing, but that's what the devil will do. He will come in among us, and we got to be careful. And Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, uh, I believe it's verse 28. He says, um, when I leave, there will be ravenous wolves. Let's go to 29. For I know that after my departure, when Paul would leave, the wolves will come in among you, and they will devour the sheep. Why would they come in when Paul would leave? Because they wouldn't dare to be there when Paul was there. I was just reminded that when I went to Arizona, some little guys came in here looking at my nieces, my niece, and, and uh, they, they thought, pastor's out, we could go in now. You know, but I'll be here, and I'll grab them by the neck, and uh, they won't mess with my nieces. Um, and, and so that's what we're doing in this place. We're, we're shepherds, and, and wolves are the natural predator of the sheep. What they do is they eat sheep. And, but the pastors are the natural predator of wolves. And that's why we don't play games. We're checking out, we're watching around, and we want to make sure that not one sheep is taken or distracted because we will be responsible. The Bible says, as Jesus says, if you make one of my little ones stumble, you better tie a lime rock to your neck and throw yourself in the lake. You better go commit suicide. If you're going to make one of his little ones stumble. And, and so that's really powerful. And that's, that's the seriousness of this, of this place. And so we, we want to, uh, let's go back to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Let's finish that off. This is not even the word, man. I'm concerned here, okay. Uh, we're, we're in verse um, 27. We are in weariness. We get tired. We toil. Uh, we're sleepless, sleepless often. I have been waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and God has told me, you go tell that man that I have everything he's dreaming of if he comes to me. So I go and I tell the man, I say, look, last night at 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord woke me up, and he told me that if you come to him, he's going to give you everything your heart desires. And he goes, if you tell me that one more time, I'm going to punch you out. I said, what do you mean punch me out? I was the one sleeping when God woke me up to tell you something. I'm going to punch you out. I can't even sleep at night. God's talking to me about things that belong to you. So in sleepless nights, often calls at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, we're, we're on watch all the time in hunger and thirst and fasting often in cold and nakedness. All these descriptions. Verse 28, besides the other things, what comes upon us daily, a deep concern for the entire church. There's not one person that we do not care about, even people that are not in this church, and we care about their lives, and we pray for them, and we wish that they would escape from the fowler's trap uh, and to be in a good place to be taken care of. Deep concern with the church. Verse 29, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is going through a problem and I don't suffer with them the problem, the hardships with them? Who is made to stumble? And, and one, one gentleman came in here and he took one of our guys to go get drunk one night. I'm like, what are you doing? You think I'm inviting you here to invite people to go get drunk? And he goes, no, 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 I'm sorry. I go, look, that wasn't my son, so it's not that hard. But he was God's son, so you're in big trouble. If it would have been my son, you would have some serious problems on your hands. And so some people cause others to stumble. And I do not burn with indignation. Paul, deep inside his gut, suffered what was happening to God's people. And any man who is called to this, to this place, to this pulpit, this is his heart. He rejoices with those who rejoices and he weeps with those who weep. And, and I just cannot believe sometimes how people make decisions and what they do. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Okay, so that's, that's a, just a, a ballpark of what it is to be a pastor. We, we are trying to move deeper into this concept um, a lot of people have wished that a pastor, uh, you know, would, would, would take a bus to work, would ride a bicycle, would live uh, under the poverty level just to make sure that you keep us humble. But thank God for those that have crowned us with favor and appreciation for what they have received. And, and many times it's priceless what God has bestowed upon us through a, an appropriate instrument of God, a vessel of honor, uh, a minister of the kingdom. So let's go ahead and pray for God's word this morning. And that, that was just, a, I'm just, I'm just appreciative. I want to play, before we start with the preaching, I want to play uh, five minutes of an interview that was with a pastor. And he says, while my dad was being a pastor the whole time, he never spent time with me throwing a baseball. So when he turned 80 years old and his father died in the hospital, he sat on the chair, and he's 80, his father's dead, or no, he's probably 60, 70 years old. His father's dead, and he goes back to his childhood, and he says, Dad, why weren't you ever there? What, why didn't you, why weren't you a dad to me? You were always at church. You were always marrying people. You were doing funerals. You were doing crusades. You were saving the world, but you were not being a faithful father or a husband. Let's listen to this little piece and also receive it from the Lord so that you begin to understand a little bit more behind the lines. When you stay home in the midweek Bible study, when it's Wednesday night and you feel I'm going to stay home and be comfortable, you are abandoning your your knitting your hearts with pastor to help families. Why? Because on that night people come here they're losing their homes, they're losing their families, they're losing their children, they have, they're losing their health, and you're not here to pray with them, to encourage them, to worship God. It's not that you're staying home because you have nothing to do. You're staying home because you're selfish and ignorant. You have no idea that being part of the church is not just coming on Sunday. Part of the church is coming on the midweek services and to care about other people. But just for your appreciation, let's go ahead and listen to these five minutes real quick. 
And see, I, I just really think that we've, whatever the balance is, and I don't even know what that balance is, but for you it could be different. But I messed up when my kids were in their early six and sevens and eight years old. I was so driven by church growth and I never was home for, see, and that, that's what my one son said to me the one day. We were doing all these pastor to pastor tapes and, and, uh, and then the producer said, we were, HB, we got your son on the line. We, we want you to interview him. And that's a dirty trick, you know, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know it, and Brad, you know, he just, and, and, and uh, we were talking about stuff, and I made the mistake of saying, because he was talking about those early days, and I made the mistake of saying, Brad, you know, I don't even remember that. And he said, Dad, I'm not surprised. And then his voice broke. He said, the thing I remember, you were never home for dinner, and you always kind of popped in and out for vacations because you're always marrying somebody or burying somebody or holding some revival or something. And then when you were home, mom wouldn't let us have kids over to play because she didn't want us to bother you. And then he said, I wished it could have been different. See, you don't, you don't go back and, and get those things back. See, you, you guys and gals with young kids you, you got to make the most of what you've got because you don't have a chance to go back and do it over again. And you say, well, what if we've messed up? I mean, what if we've got some issues that we've got to deal with? Well, the answer is you deal with them. You make a phone call. You write a letter. You say you're sorry. You said we did the best we could with what we had, and, and we apologize for it. You don't say, okay, now come to church. You don't say that. You, you, you just say, you know, let's, let's start over somewhere. Because I deal with so many pastors who have regrets. I mean, I've got regrets, but I don't want to have any more. And neither should you have any more. Wherever that regret line is, you need not cross it anymore. That is say, well, they don't let the kids do anything they want. Of course not. Your parents. But you, you just don't cross the regret line because it's hard to go back over it. My dad was a, was a prolific writer and speaker. And when I was 16, my dad had an affair. Uh, he was pastoring this big church in St. Louis. And I remember coming home one night from school, from football practice, and my mom said, we're moving tomorrow. I said, what do you mean we're moving? She said, I, I can't even talk about it, but we're moving. And that night as I was laying in bed, I heard the muffled voices of my mom and dad in the room. And the next day, man, we moved from our beautiful house to a walk-up apartment with linoleum floors. And they stayed there so I could finish high school. Graduated at 17 and... And from that point on, our life was never the same. For the next seven years, we were never together. My dad had to make a living. He sold tickets for the Blackwoods brothers, made 25 cents a ticket. Or then he raised money for the Salvation Army and the Civitans. And my mom had to get an education. And I went out to California to college and uh, met Beverly, got married, went to seminary. Our family wasn't together. Finally, seven years later, we sat around a Christmas dinner table. 
almost like strangers. I remember uh, Brad that works for Salem Communications, like these guys do, Andy and them, and down in Portland. I, I was going to go visit him. We were going out to Oregon somewhere, and he's about 35, and he had, he had called Beverly one night, and they were talking, and I heard him talking, and, and, and he said, uh, you mean you and Dad are, are just coming out to visit us? He said, yeah, we're just coming out to visit. He said, you mean Dad's not speaking somewhere or something? And when she put down the phone, she said, you know, that was really interesting. He was thrilled to know that we were coming just to see them. At 35 years of age. They never forget, I'm telling you, they never forget the significance that you place upon them as your sons and your daughters. Because the truth is, the church can just simply suck out of us not just time we spend with our family, but the strength to give to them, the energy to give to them. I mean, I remember I'd come home some nights with these two wild boys that I had, and I knew that I should give them energy, but I didn't have anything to give. I'd just been depleted of it, and, and they were starving, just starving for this kind of thing. I, uh, Jim Dobson and I were talking down in Palm Springs and we're talking about the significance of pastors, because he's a pastor's kid, and, and, uh, and, and daughters. How significant relationships between pastors and their daughters are, because daughters, they're like sponges. They, they, they soak up the love that they can receive and the affirmation that they can get from their dads. It, it, I mean, sometimes they don't act like it matters to them, but, but it really does matter to them. And, and Jim made the statement. He said, H.B., he said, you know that if these daughters don't find this affirmation and love and approval from their dads, they'll find it somewhere else. And all you have to do is go to the malls and stand around and watch these gals at the entrances of malls and who, who are just seeking approval, seeking someone to say to them, you matter, you're important. And see, that's why, you know, I don't think we need to, to overdo it, but, but that's why we need to constantly be affirming our kids. I mean, not falsely, because, because then they get in the real world and they get tromped on. But we need to be saying to our boys, I'm proud of you, and you've got ability, and you've got talents, and, and, and Dad's going to hold you accountable for those things. I watch my guys and, and the way they treat their children, and they didn't learn it from me, but, but they're so affirming, and they're, they're, they're at their kids' activities, and, and they make them feel like they're significant. I get letters nearly every week from a pastor's kid of 20 and 30 and 40, and they're angry at the church, and they don't respect their parents. And they say, Pastor, I, I got so much anger in me, I, I, I can't even go to church and and sit there without thinking how my dad let the church beat up on him and, and how my mom took his position even when he wasn't home. She, she always made excuses for him. My dad got restored. Uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell in Dallas restored my dad. My dad became president of California Graduate School of Theology in Los Angeles and touched the lives of hundreds of young men and women. But he could never look at me again without shame. 
He carried that. God had forgiven him. My mom had forgiven him. But he never could forgive himself. Because not only did he have an affair, he, he didn't know how to love me. He, he didn't know how. I never remember throwing a ball to him. I never remember. I, he came to one of my football games one time, and he had a bunch of preachers all dressed up and stuff. And he stayed 10 minutes. And when I got home that night, he never even asked me who won. And then he got old, and one day I had to fly into Los Angeles and bring him to Colorado Springs, and his life literally began to ebb out of him then. He lived six more months. It was a terrible, terrible six months from one care facility to the next. And then one morning in the hospital, he just died. And I stood in the hospital room, and I... Uh, was there by myself, and I found myself being eight years old again. And I just talked to him like I was a little boy. I said, Dad, how come, how come we never did play ball, and how come we never went hunting or hiking? Or, why didn't we do all the stuff that everybody else got to do? And I remember leaving that room just looking at my dad saying, Dad, why couldn't it have been different? We had the funeral, and a lot of nice people came and said really nice things, and I buried my dad in Oklahoma City, and I'd forgotten about it, and about two months later, the cemetery called and said, you know, we really need to put a marker by your dad's grave. What would you like on it? And I just thought to myself, you know, he, he wasn't a loving husband, and he wasn't a faithful father, and, and finally, I just said, why don't you just put, he was a great preacher. And that was seven years ago. A year ago last summer, I was through Oklahoma City speaking at a university, and I asked my driver to take me by their burial park, and I found the London plot, and I found my dad's grave, and I had forgotten it, and you know how the dirt goes on, and you know the water and stuff, and I found myself on my knees just cleaning off the marker, and as I was doing it, all of a sudden, this inscription just came out. He was a great preacher. And I was eight years old again. And I just sat there talking to an empty grave. And I remember as I got up off my knees, I just looked at that grave and one more time just said, Dad, why couldn't it have been different? Amen. Powerful, powerful. People don't see what's going on behind the scenes. They don't see the intensity of God's goodness and provision. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask you to bless it. That we can make justice and walk righteously understanding your provision to men. That this word might be a lamp unto our feet. Might be a seed. A good seed that would be planted in a good heart and give forth a good harvest to glorify your name. And Father, we know that our glory is not in this world, but in the world to come, those that teach, those that are serving you, will shine as the stars of the firmament. So we pray, O oh God, that you would give us understanding so that we might walk in the capacity to appreciate, to value,
to give worth to these servants of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible clearly says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that God gave gifts to men. And we're all looking and asking God for many things, and we don't realize that most of the things God has freely given us through His goodness and grace. He Himself gave some to be apostles. He Himself gifted some to be prophets. God Himself put evangelist upon the earth to preach the gospel. I thank God for every evangelist upon the earth. God himself gave pastors as a gift. Some people think pastors are a curse. He gave some to be teachers, to have the patience to instruct so that we would not fall into destruction. Some have lifted up their opinion above their teachers. Some have lifted up their countenance and arrogance above the giftings of God and suffer greatly for doing so. The Bible says that God appointed a covering for his people since day one. Uh, Adam and Eve went to go cover themselves with fig leaves. They were naked and ashamed. But God has always given man an ability to come under covering. Come to a place of rest. Come to a place of refreshing. In Exodus chapter 13 verse 21, it says the Lord went before them as a pillar of cloud to lead them. This shadow, this place of refreshing and rest is a place for God's people to come under. And by night, a pillar of fire, he gave to them a light so as to go by day and night to be able to travel during their journey. Verse 22 says, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And under that cloud, God has protection for His people. And under that cloud, there is a shadow. And God wants His people always to abide under His shadow. Isaiah 51, 15 says, For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, and who rebuke it, restrains it. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 16, And I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with a shadow of my hand. The instruction of the Lord as the shadow of God that protects and that provides. My hand shall be a shadow that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Those who abide under the shadow of the Most High God, those that understand the gifting of the Lord. Psalm 91.1 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed, shall abide under a shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. A secret place, a shadow of provision and protection. This is what God has provided man since day one. This is what he has provided for us in many areas of our life. We read Deuteronomy 1.33. He went in the way before you to search out where you're to pitch your tents where he says, the plan pleased me well, verse 33, verse 33, 
He went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. As you follow the cloud, as you stay within the shadow, as you perceive what God is doing, there is an umbrella of protection. Deuteronomy 25, 18. How he did not fear God, but when you were faint and weary, he attacked those that were behind the scenes. There's some people that fall. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear. People that do not stay under the shadow. People that lose their way under the cloud. They were attacked from behind when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Numbers 14, 27, he says, How long will this evil congregation speak against me? How long will they, um, will they complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel have made against me. Many times we see that God's provision is a hindrance to our life and we begin to complain. But God had to tell his servants in 1 Samuel 8, 7, they're not rejecting you as protection and provision. They're not rejecting your counsel, your wisdom, your instruction, your service. They, he says, I heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. I'm upset at the pastor. I'm upset at the ways. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That I should not be the one above them. That I should not be the one to reign over them. I love Psalm 81 verse 10. Where it says, I the Lord have brought you out of Egypt. And open your mouth wide because I will fill it. The promise of God is to satisfy our soul completely. If we're not satisfied, it's because we're not listening to God and we're not under His shadow and within His provision. He says, I brought you out of the world that you might be fully satisfied. So open your mouth wide so that I can satisfy it. Verse 11, my people would not hear my voice and Israel would have none of my counsel. Verse 12, so I gave them up to their own plans, to their own desires and let them follow their own stubborn hearts that they might follow their own counsel. The difference. Verse 13 says, oh, that my people would listen. That Israel would have walked in my ways, in my instructions. Verse 14, then speedily I would soon, could you say soon? Fast! I would suddenly subdue their enemies. All their problems would be fixed and restored. They would reign and rule and turn my hand against their adversaries. Verse 15, the haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him. The haters, I've never seen that in the Bible, but that's a good one. They didn't want God's ways. They didn't want God's shadow. They didn't want God's protection and provision. These haters of the shadow of God would pretend submission to Him. But their fate would endure forever. Verse 16. He would have fed them with the finest of wheat and with honey from a rock. I would have satisfied you. If you would understand the provisions I have made for your life and for your children. Judges 8.23, Gideon called to be a leader and a prince. 
and a, a minister over the people to lead them. He had to tell them, but Gideon said to them, I'm not the one ruling over you, nor shall my son, my spiritual sons, be the one to rule over you. But the Lord, the Lord is the one who's speaking through our lives into your life. We are being used by God as an instrument of what God desires. And this is not something of a self-appointed nature. I did not campaign to be your pastor. I, I'm, I'm not the one that set myself apart and says, I'm going to be Brian Alvarez's pastor. This is not a glory that I take upon myself. This is God's appointment. God's calling. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every minister chosen from among men, every high priest taken from among men, is appointed for man. He's taken and he's put in a place pertaining to the things that relate to God, that he might offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, that he might watch for good things and for bad things. Verse 2, Hebrews 5.2. He can have compassion on those who are difficult and ignorant, he could, have, he could feel sorry for those who continue to stumble and stumble and stumble and stumble because they're ignorant. And he could be compassion on those that go astray. How is it in, in, in earth's name that I would want a, a headache to come back? How is it that I would want an ignorant and foolish person to come back? And I can't wait till they all come back. That they come back to the place God has given them where there's a rest, a shadow of refreshing and protection. This is our longing because we don't have our longing. We want God's longing. And God wishes no man should perish. But that all should repent and come back to the place where God wants to flourish them and make them fruitful and supply them and satisfy them suddenly. Since Him, He Himself is also subject to weakness he can have compassion on the ignorant and the astray because i am the worst of all i am the most difficult and god has had compassion with me i am the most ignorant for 30 years and god has shown me his love and his goodness verse 3 and because of this he's obliged because god has chosen him and appointed him for men relating to the things of god because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to watch for your spiritual life, to watch for my spiritual life. To be able to, to aspire to these things. I mean, people say, why did you leave your law practice? Because God told me I could never lead people where I wasn't willing to go. I could never lead people to walk on water until I walked on water. To believe God, to have faith, to have confidence, to have strength. Verse 4. And no man, say with me, no man, takes this honor to himself. Nobody says, I'm going to be the pastor. Well, some foolish men do. And then they, they, they are full of problems because God never called them. They're full of, of things that are unnatural. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. It's a calling. Verse 5. Christ also was appointed and did not glorify himself to become 
a priest, a high priest. But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I have chosen you for this work. I have set you apart to be a minister unto my people. So what are we set apart to do? The Bible says in Leviticus 10.10, You, minister of God, should stand before my people and draw a line between what is right and what is wrong, that you may distinguish. And people come into my office all the time. What should I do? This is the line of the Lord. This is what the word of God says. This is the principles of the kingdom. And some people want to live without those principles and suffer. They want to pick their own ways. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy. The things that belong to God and the things that don't. Between those things that are unclean and those things that are clean. And unfortunately, some of you that are not tied into a relationship with a pastor are, are walking lukewarm. A little caca from the world, a little bit of spirituality from church. And the Bible says one small fly in a bottle of perfume is a stench. It's embarrassing that you call yourself a Christian and you walk with worldly people. Christians going to get tattoos and ear piercings and all manner and sort of situations that are unholy and unclean. And I still have pastors that are telling me that I'm insane because they've lost the way. They have lost God's instruction. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17, he says, because they're called to this work, you are to listen to them. Obey those that are ruling over you. Because Be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Many times you don't even see what you're doing. And it's clear to me that the devil's going to devour you. Be submissive. They watch for your souls as those that have to answer to God. We stand here having to answer to God on the day of judgment. You have to answer for yourself. I have to answer for thousands upon thousands of people. And so that's why we take what we do seriously. As those who must give an account, let them do this job with joy. And I want to tell you today, a lot of times we are emphatic and we are serious and we even yell. But I'm as happy as can be. I'm full of the joy of the Lord. I had, to, I had to correct myself in Peru because I was in a conference. There's a thousand people there. And I was, I'm happy. I'm full of joy. I love serving God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. No one's going to make me unhappy. No one's going to steal my joy. Because I need to continue to serve God for many, many, many more years. I found myself in my office five years ago with a father and his teenage daughter. And I said, sir, I know that this is an overwhelming situation with your daughter in this circumstance. But I need to be full of joy 20 years from now when Valeria comes into the office with her parents. When the little babies in this house come in before the Lord to seek, seek the counsel of God, and they're going to find a rejoicing pastor full of joy, maybe a little bit less hair, but full of joy nonetheless. I want to serve the Lord all the days of my life. And like the pastor, the psalmist says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm not looking forward like some pastors do to retirement. I'm not looking for to drop the towel. The other day, my nephew was drawing a picture. He says, Pastor, he says, Uncle, this is you sitting down and this is me preaching. I said, well, that's going to be a fight. 
You're going to have to pull me off this pulpit because I will fight all the days of my life to fulfill the call that God has given me, to be able to shepherd his sheep. Let them do it with joy and not with grief because this would be unprofitable to you. The moment that the shadow of God just is no longer present, the, lo- the day the refreshing, the, the instruction of God towards your life is cut off, this is not profitable to you, not to me. Some men have thought, well, when I leave the church, the pastor won't have my tithe no more, so he'll be hurting. Listen to me. God is my provider. He was here way before you got here, and he will be here way before you leave. God is faithful to his servants. We abide in his presence, under his shadow. So the instruction that God's people had was to draw a line between right and wrong. God always got upset when the priest the pastors were moving that line Ezekiel twenty two twenty six. he says her priests have violated my law they have profaned my holy things they have made no distinction her people have left this church because I have called their children unholy your son is drinking from the sewer of this world and he's called to be a prince And you have not even talked to him. You have not even challenged him. You have not corrected him. And so they said, we're going to another church where they won't tell our kids anything. Where they could do all they want and be encouraged to walk like the world. And instead of being transformed and being not conformed to this world, they look just like the world. They're walking just like the wolves. They are no sheep. Sheep don't hang around with wolves. You could shout amen. Sheep don't hang out with wolves. He says that they might know between the holy and the unholy. That they might be made known the difference between the clean and the unclean. And that they have hidden their eyes from serving God in the house of God. So that I am considered a joke amongst the people. They come into church, they wouldn't even let you be part of a serious gathering of men. There's these men that network here in Miami. And they meet once a month, and they all bring in the portion of the money to be part of that. Some of them are 3,000, some are 1,000, some are 100. But they pay their dues, and they would never be able to be part of that gathering of network of men unless they manned up with their dues. And people have been walking into the house of God for years and they don't know what their obligation and duty is. They still have not learned the ways of the Lord. 1 Peter 5, Peter talks about the responsibility of pastors. And I I want to give it real quickly. 1 Peter 5, 2. He's to care for the flock. 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. We're to take care of sheep. We're not to impress wolves. Serving them as overseers. The word overseer is one who sees a little bit farther than you're seeing. One who can see over a lot of things. You're not, you're just overwhelmed with the present. You're overwhelmed with the circumstance. But I see down the road. I see 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Not, not because we're forcing ourselves upon people. But willingly, not because we're forced. I'm not forced to do what I do. I enjoy what I do. 
not for dishonest gain. We don't do this for money, but we do this eagerly. We serve a poor man. We serve a rich man. Uh, one day, a man walked into my office, and he says, um, why, why do you cater to these wealthy men? Because they have money? I said, no. Look at me spending my time with you, and you're a homeless man. That's a foolish question. If I was spending my time with wealthy men, I wouldn't be talking to you, sir. I wouldn't spend my time caring about your situation. But that's deep inbreded in the heart of humans out there. Verse 3. Nor as being lords. We are not dictators. We voluntarily serve those who are willing to receive our instruction. And those who are not, their lives will reflect their shame. Their lives. When they they start getting a suntan, have you ever seen somebody with a bad suntan? That means they're not under the cloud. That means they need a little bit of Novocaine, a little solar cane, right? They need, some, they need some extra attention because they thought they were wise in their own sight. And they got burned. They got seriously burned. And not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. That's one of the biggest challenges of a pastor. People are always looking at us, trying to judge us to see what we're not doing so they can say, ah, see there, got you. Ah, see there, got you. And they're trying to, to, to try to challenge our example before them. And I want to tell you something. It's been the grace of the Lord of Jesus Christ who has kept us for 30 years growing in the purpose of God. The, the only thing that keeps us being an example is God's goodness, His mercy, His grace. It hasn't been our strength and our savvy and our wisdom. It has not. It's been the goodness of the Lord. And he continues to allow us to have a greater forum, being an example, being an example of the pattern and principles of God to the flock. What for? Verse 4, so that when the chief shepherd appears, some people think we're doing this for money, some people think we're doing this for power. Listen to me, we're doing this because one day the chief shepherd is going to show up. And before him, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found straight. I want to be found acceptable in His sight. To receive a crown of glory that does not fade. That is our desire. It's really a powerful thing to be able to be a servant of the Lord in these days. I count it a privilege. I count it a great honor. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 that some people think, well, you're not my pastor. Every time I ask a person, who's your pastor, and they tell me God... I start laughing because I know I have a rebel in my crosshairs. I see a rebel, a person that doesn't appreciate the provisions of God to put a man upon the earth to be entrusted with the care of his people. And so in many realms, as a father is responsible for a family, so a pastor is responsible for the family at church. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 13 had a group of people that didn't like him to be their pastor. So he had to speak to him like this. We, however, will not boast beyond measure. We don't want to be pastors to people that do not have, we don't have responsibility for them. We don't want to beyond our measure. But within the limits of the sphere, God is appointed. God has drawn a circle. He's put you in the circle. He's put me as a pastor over that circle. And I'm not caring about what they're doing down the street or across the way. I'm a pastor over people in the responsibility God has given us, which God has appointed us a sphere which especially includes you. 
He's saying, hey, you might not know I'm your pastor, but I know I'm your pastor. You might think you're not in my circle of responsibility, but God has shown me. He has put you there in that territory to care for your life. Verse 14. For we are not overextending ourselves. We don't want to be a cloud over people that don't want to be covered. As though our authority did not extend to you. We're not trying to come over and put a nilly under our cloud here. Come on, a nilly. You got to. This is not a forceful thing. We're not overextending ourselves. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 15. Not boasting of things beyond our measure. That is, in other man's labor. You're not under somebody else's cloud. You're under a cloud to be under a cloud to be under a cloud to prosper, to be fruitful, to be successful. But you know where you want to be? Where? You want to be under somebody else's cloud. You think you have promise in somebody else's territory. And that's foolishness. Because God knows where he planted you. And the Bible says that those that are planted, those who have roots shall flourish in the courts of God, shall be fruitful, prosperous, blessed. But some people don't understand God's goodness. The Bible says that God's goodness leads to repentance. So today, if you've heard the voice of the Lord, repent. Repent and say, God, I want to be under your shadow, under your covering, under your goodness. So let's stand this morning. And, and you know something? Thank you for receiving our ministry as you have and thank you for honoring the pastors. I'm going to call Pastor Joey up here, Pastor Palma. Pastor Walter, get up here. Pastor Raul Molina, Sr. These are men that, that God has gifted. Some of you don't know that Walter has been pastoring for a long time. We grew up in the house of the Lord together, and, and he's... A pastor getting restored in this house. Amen? Amen? But he has the wisdom of God all over him. <laughs> pastor Rivera will be here in the second service. Pastor Kenny, I don't know if he's here. He'll be here. Huh? Rivera's here, call him. And this, this is a, to me, this year has been a real special year for me because God brought some more pastors on board. And he's not going to bring pastors on board unless he's going to fill this place with sheep. He's going to bring a lot of his people in this place so that we could shepherd the house of God and honor him. But when you see these men in this place, I want you to seriously give them high honor, to seriously uh, give them your appreciation. Um, last week, somebody put in the offering box a, a gift certificate to Pastor Joey uh, to go buy some suits at the men's warehouse. I, I was so blessed and honored by that offering that somebody would want our pastors to, to, to really be able to wear, you know, what, what men of honor and gentlemen wear. And so I was, I was rejoicing. I said, thank you, Lord, for the heart of that person who opened. Pastor Rivera, welcome, sir. This man's a champion. He's pastoring this in San Salvador. pastoring in San Salvador under bullets when all the missionaries were running and they were coming back to the United States because there was a civil war in El Salvador 
and they told all the American missionaries, jump on the airplane and come home. He says, I can't leave my sheep. And as everybody was jumping on the little airplanes to leave, he says, I'm staying here with the sheep God has given me. And that is highly honorable. That's courage. And so behind the scenes, you will never know the sleepless nights, the concerns, and the worries. But every time that you guys come into the house of God and honor a service and honor faithfulness and be able to really do what it says in 1 Timothy 5.17. Some of you haven't read that verse. It doesn't pertain to you. It says, giving these men, the elders, the pastors, the ministers who govern well, that they might be counted worthy of double honor especially those that are teaching and instructing the people of God. And I want to tell you something. There's, there's, there's several men behind me, but I guarantee you there's more pastors in front of me than there are behind me right now. They're in the, they're in the, they're in the world-changing mode. And so reach your hands forward and let's pray for these men of God. Father, we thank you, O oh God, for your provision in the house of God. That you have gifted each one of these men a special wife and special children. That they could be an example to your people, God. Of men who dwell under the shadow of the Most High God. Men who have learned the secret place of the omnipotent God. To be able to lead your people to a place of refreshing, to green pastures. Besides still waters, oh God. That you have kept their hearts and kept their families. That you have kept them in the presence of God concerned with the affairs of your kingdom day and night you have promised to raise them up as princes upon the land men who live by principles men in which there is no guile there is no double mindedness there is no cowardness but there's courage courage to lead your people and fight the battles of the Lord and I pray that you continue to crown them with favor and with glory and bless all the works of their hands that they too shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that they should be strengthened and refreshed by the sheep of your fold. And we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And the people of God say, Amen.